Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, radio hotter. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Sorry, my little uh, um, technical um, goodies. Radio hotter. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. Who could that be? That'll be Paul Ryan ringing in from the UK for his weekly report to Radio Hot Lab. Paul, are you there? Hello, Radio Hot Lab. How are you? Good, thank you, sir. And yourself? Uh, right, um, fighting fit on this very foggy English Monday morning. <laughs> I believe you've got your parents over there staying with you for a moment, beating yeah. you out of house and home. Indeed, yep. Got the freeloaders kind of uh, come over to uh, enjoy a little bit of uh, European culture. So, uh, yes, we said the, uh, the weekend... Uh, um, went down and visit to uh, Queen Lizzie in London and sort of changing in the garden, all that, um, all that stuff. <laughs> well, it's just lucky you had a weekend off with your busy schedule for them to be able to find a moment. Usually, they've got to come and um, uh, catch up with you unexpectedly at surfers or something like that. Yes, indeed. Wave, wave me across that, wave me in the pits from across the, uh, um, from across the other side of the racetrack or something. So, that <laughs> make a pleasant change. Oh, you take your parents where you can get them, mate. So after um, uh, speaking to you last week, there's obviously a fair few things have gone on in the world of motor racing and uh, technology. Uh, I watched the race from China, and oh, man, I I suppose the first thing that came to mind is, can you believe it? They didn't weld the grate down. Yeah, staggering, really, and you know, uh, really quite lucky for uh, quite lucky for Montoya that he didn't run run straight over the centre. Otherwise, it would have kind of torn his backside out of the uh, um, out of the car. Apparently, it did. Uh, Quite a significant, uh, quite a significant amount of damage. Basically, kind of tore the floor um, to pieces down the right-hand side of the um, uh, the side pod, and um, tore the bottom of the radiator and all cores out. Which um, subsequently, uh, um, you know, while the car was was handling a little bit, uh, a little bit easily because the suspension um, copped a little bit of a hard time as well. Um, what actually kind of finally brought him undone was. Uh, Lack of water and lack of oil, and, uh, and the engine. Well, I don't know whether it actually exploded, but it was about to kind of run out of uh, run out of its fluids, which uh, you know doesn't do it to, uh, doesn't do it a lot of good, wouldn't you? Especially in those things when you're kind of revving to kind of eighteen, nineteen, twenty thousand RPM. So, mate, uh, I suppose certainly, uh, certainly Montoya and Mark Winterbottom have uh, have a few a few stories to share. <laughs> you got in before me. I was going to say that'd be the uh, question of a motor racing trivial pursuit game coming up. <laughs> <laughs> what do they have in common? Yeah, well, I... <laughs> they are have a great friendship. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and you know what they say about cars that uh, blow oil, race cars that blow oil. We only stop. We only start worrying when they stop blowing oil. Championship, that McLaren were going to were going to clinch the uh, uh, the team's championship, 
but a couple of uh, a couple of rough races up in the uh, in the Far East in Japan and China has, has kind of really kind of turned the table. Uh, the Japanese Grand Prix, uh, McLaren had a, a bit of a qualifying disaster. Um, they had an engine change for uh, for Kimi Raikkonen, and then Montoya didn't go out because it started raining. He was kind of going to be the last guy uh, was going to be the last guy to go out. Um, the rain started descending uh, because he'd won the previous race. The rain started to, started to fall kind of pretty heavily. It was nowhere known he was going to get a time, so he didn't bother. So they both started on the last row of the grid. Now, Kimi had a uh, ended up with a good result, come through and you know, last lap victory on uh, on on Fisher Keller to, to take the win. But uh, Montoya got uh, shoved high, wide, and handsome by Jacques Villeneuve on the you know, coming onto the South finish straight on the opening lap, and you know <laughs> did a went pretty close to kind of turning the thing into a canoe into the uh, into the fence so there was only kind of one point scoring result there and then uh, you know with the, um, uh, the 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 China drainage gate scandal as, as probably call it <laughs> well uh, yeah another um, a, another rough weekend for McLaren only one point scoring finish and uh, Alonso's win uh, combined with the Fisichella in, in fourth place was enough to uh, clinch the, the manufacturer's championship for Renault and really considering McLaren has had the uh, the fastest car uh, for probably the you know the majority of the year it took, took them a couple of races to kind of get get their uh, get their act together uh, it really is a great effort from Renault and it just kind of goes to show the you know the, the reliability um, aspect um, is is such such a key such a key component it was a bit of a processional race, I thought, compared to, well, certainly compared to the, the Japanese race, which was definitely a cracker. And um, but there were a few dirty tactics there towards the end there, with um, Renault obviously telling Fissy to, to have a brain fade coming into uh, into the pits there and slowing up the guys behind, which which cost him you know, the, the drive-through penalty. And uh, I, <laughs> sitting on the edge of my seat, thinking, imagine if that had changed the whole Constructors' Championship fallout. Well, they need to be... Um kind of how they uh, uh, in, in how they do it um, you know it was pretty blatant um, you know and, and it, it all started at um, uh, it all started at um, the um, Belgian Grand Prix in Spa the McLaren kind of tried that trick for the first time and you know the, the, the difficult thing is is that you know it's probably kind of happened happened kind of in the past but you know you have the kind of situation in Formula 1 where you only have one pit stall for two cars can't pit both um, both guys at the same time, so um, you, you end up if, if if in the situation where there's a safety car period, you know the, your second guy can really get hung out to dry because he can't race into the pits, um, you know, whatever he wants. Uh, the lead guy has to come in a pit, and you know sometimes it is better to actually pull up behind your teammate, park in the uh, park in the pit lane, um, end up kind of waiting. For uh, for your, your teammate to get service, and then kind of pull, you know, start waiting to get fuel at the, you know at your local servo kind of thing. You know, sometimes you've got to kind of wait in line. Now, it's obviously can be kind of slightly better, then you can save a little bit of time if you can kind of judge it time-wise. But if you're kind of holding up the uh, holding up the pack, um, holding up your opposition, the FIA are probably you know, are now kind of taking a bit of a dim view of that kind of scenario, um, and yeah, it's certainly. Uh, Cost, uh, cost Fisichella at the finish. They were, they were a little bit smart and kind of leaving it till the very last minute. They're trying to um, push, push, push for the kind of last 
like a black tag, black flag penalty. So I only lost one position and ended up just a little bit behind um, Ralph Schumacher at the finish. But certainly, um, it's an interesting new aspect to, to motor racing that you know under these kind of yellow flag situations that doesn't happen in Champ Cars or IRL because everybody kind of has each car has their own has their own kind of pit bay kind of thing and their own separate set of crews to actually service that car. Hey, what was your uh, take on the um, the uh, the warm-up uh, accident between Alvers and Michael Schumacher? And I know you've spent some time um, with the Minardi team uh, last year, and um, uh, have you heard anything, really, what happened there? No, actually, and, and to be honest, I didn't see it. It was, um, you know, it was something <clears throat> something like kind of 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, kind of UK time, and I kind of put the TV on and was kind of semi-dozing kind of thing. Um, so I didn't actually kind of catch it, but it certainly was a pretty rough weekend for Michael for uh, to have that to happen, uh, uh, that happen at the start, and then uh, to uh, you know, bit of a screw up really in the, in the race to actually kind of spin off during the safety car period. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Louise Goodman, Louise Goodman asked him, um, you know, are you happy to see the end of this year? And he was quite contrite and went, in a way, yes. <laughs> Last week, Paul, we talked about Porsche's arrival into the American Le Mans series with their P2 uh, chassis, and it appears first time out they've um, they've come um, up on top. Yeah, it was a pretty. <coughs> Hang on. <coughs> uh, that'll be that pork pie you had for lunch caught in your throat. No, 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 mate. This is a conversation. We don't edit anything. <laughs> well, you're going to have to now. <laughs> well, we'll just start again. Um, Paul, last week we spoke uh, briefly about uh, Porsche's re-entry into the sports car market. Um, hasn't been around for a number of years, and they've gone into the second uh, uh, 
prototype category with their uh, new open wheeler. No, I'll start that again. It's not an open wheeler at all. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul, uh, last week we spoke briefly about Porsche's um, a return to sports car racing and uh, specifically the American Le Mans series. This year, uh, this weekend, they've, they've come up Trump's uh, first time out on their Michelin shod vehicle. Is the Penske car effectively a factory car or is it a customer car?
ATO's perspective, it's obviously be very, um, you know, they would like to see the car in the race, you know, a, a, you know, a big manufacturer effort to return to Porsche. Now, I think possibly the car has the potential to be an outright contender, um, an outright contender at Le Mans, but they've got to be careful that they don't kind of, you know, show their cards, show their cards too early. Apparently, the plan is to run the car as a P2 car next year, um, as a full factory effort, with a possibility of upgrading upgrading it to P1 specification the following year, which will be mean more power but more weight. Um, so the end result is a little bit a little bit quicker, but also wouldn't be able to run as long in fuel consumption, uh, things like that. And then from that point forward, the P2 car will become a customer car. So the likes of you know, your John Fields and so forth that have been um, you know, running around in the P2 class for years and years and years will have the opportunity to possibly purchase a Porsche P2 car and you know, and go and be competitive in that class while the factory goes and competes in, um, you know, in the, outright, uh, the outright division. Look, as you mentioned last week, <clears throat> with the introduction of Audi's R10 uh, being a diesel, uh, long uh, distance events and especially tracks which have long distance between uh, the, the pit area like Le Mans, fuel consumption uh, really, really comes into it. Uh, we saw even that at Bathurst, it, you know, there were a few splash and dashes sort of uh, to go there. So, uh, mate, I think it's interesting times and I, I, I'm certainly, uh, for one, very much a, a sports car advocate. It's one of the categories I think that's confused by many, many people and uh, I hope those listening to the radio will, will become more enthused about it and never knows, we might see the uh, Bathurst 24-hour return. Yeah, that'd be great. The uh, the other interesting one, which I kind of forgot to mention, uh, got, forgot to mention last week, was was the fact Peugeot is also doing a um, uh, a diesel um, for an assault on Le Mans as well. So you're going to have Audi, Audi and Peugeot running diesels next year. Uh, yeah, it would be great to see Bathurst come back. Obviously, it pretty much kind of um, rode on the back of uh, you know the the generosity and the passion for the sport by, by Ross Palmer. Now. Um, uh, Unfortunately, you know, if, can it can it survive can it survive financially on its own without a um, without the assistance of, of somebody like Ross or or somebody with Ross's financial clout? I don't know whether it's kind of financially viable or whether you know in a club type kind of situation. You know, for years, of course, you know, Bathurst was run by the ARDC, um, and you know they managed to to get themselves in a little bit of kind of financial clout, uh, financial difficulty kind of, you know, quite some years ago when they built the new pit complex and so forth. You know, it is a difficult, it is a difficult kind of situation to, um, to keep it financially viable because you need some financial incentives to, um, to get, you know, there's so much kind of racing over here. You've got the FIA GT Championship, you've got the British GT Championship, you've got the French GT Championship, you've got the Le Mans Endurance Series, the American Le Mans Series, you've got all this stuff kind of going on in this, uh, this half of the world. You know, Bahrain having uh, uh, having a GT festival and throwing great lumps of money. Of course, um, Alan Simonson and David Brabham kind of winning that uh, last year in the, in, in the Cooper's car. Um, you know, to get a couple of kind of headline acts to come down to that to, to come down to that event becomes you know financially pretty pretty expensive. I know the FIA GT Championship is keen to uh, to get an event down in Australia um, at some point in time and it kind of expanded to that region, you know, with a view to making it um, 
attractive to Japanese manufacturers who, of course, have the what's now called the Super GT Championship, which James Courtney is racing in, um, you know, to, get, to try to get them involved in the FIA GT Series or, or, or FIA World Championship for, for GT cars. I, now, I think that, you know, that there's... People have really embraced, like, the concept of A1GP and in a sports car sense... I think you would have to look at someone like Stefan Rattel, who's been trying to get a World Series off the ground f- uh, for a while now. If, if if that could happen and could you know guarantee the uh, the, um, the sort of the worldwide exposure, it would probably be solidify the concept of sports car racing in people's minds, and um, you would probably find everyone pulling together. But it, it does seem to me there are a, a, a bunch of different factions there. Yeah. Well. Um... Rattel's pretty much has, um, you know, the, while there were kind of different factions, he's kind of bringing everybody to the table. He now runs the FIA GT Championship, which, you know, for yeah. one of another name is really the, you know, the World GT Championship. He's also... But that does, runs, but that limits, it, it does not include prototype cars. No, it doesn't, no. no. And, and that, I think that's, uh, that's something we'll... You couldn't run, for instance, you couldn't run an Audi R8 or something like that at Bathurst. The terrain would just be far, far, far too severe for a, a such a heavy downforce type vehicle. Basically, you'd kind of disappear over the top of the mountain and be doing kind of backflips, you know, disappear into the trees. And we have um, um, we have seen those backflips occur a few times. Yeah, it, it, really, the, the terrain at Bathurst, you just really couldn't you really couldn't run a car like that around this around that track. Now, the FIA GT. GT Championship is what is, I suppose, you know, pretty similar to what is called, you know, GT1 and GT2, which is like Corvette, Aston Martins, um, uh, the Maserati, and so forth, kind yep. of running around, um, running around a GT1. And GT2 is predominantly the Porsche, uh, although there is the panels running. There's a new Ferrari 430 that's going to be running in that championship. So it's kind of those type of cars that um, uh, that are going to be competing. And already the you look at the calendar for that championship. You've got Monza, Magnacor in, in France, Silverstone, Imola in Italy, Bruno in Czechoslovakia, Spa, which is actually the Spa 24, uh, Spa 24 hours, uh, Oschersleben in Germany, Istanbul, Turkey, Zhuhai in China, Dubai and Bahrain. So it already has a pretty broad, um, pretty broad stretch of the calendar. They would like to get, they would love to kind of get it into Japan, get it into Australia, you know, get it into Malaysia, um, possibly. Um, but it's all on a kind of a matter of, of funding and getting the thing, um, uh, you know, making the thing pay because, you know, it, it doesn't have the TV revenues that, say, kind of Formula One generates that enables you to, um, you know, be able to kind of fly all these teams and so forth out to, you know, the various parts of the world. But, yeah, it would be great to get something like that back at, back at Bathurst. I'm sure Avesco and, you know, the V8 Supercar guys are pretty keen to kind of keep that, um, keep that kind of sacred territory for themselves, but you know, you would like to think they would kind of be able to kind of think a little bit beyond, um, you know, our own backyard. Well, so, you know, they are, you know, they're going to New Zealand and China and going to Bahrain next year. One would that like to be able to think that that they would think beyond that, Paul. One would yeah, like I to would, be uh, able. I would to think, think that. they're probably pretty keen on kind of looking after their own. Uh, but I think uh, one only has to remember that eventually Rome fell. So, um, but not, <laughs> not wishing them um, anything bad. 
Mate, you, you, you touched on GT cars and I suppose something which is probably a little bit sort of passionate to both of us in the back of our minds uh, is um, how our old friends at Panels are going with the, uh, the, the GT car, uh, the Esperante, which is probably the first time they've actually built a race car that looks anything like the road cars that Don's son sells. How are they going, mate? Well, they actually ended up second on the weekend, and uh, I didn't uh, didn't see the race, but apparently they were um, they were actually leading until they had to do a late kind of splash and dash at uh, at the end. Now, I haven't uh, I've got to ring a couple of the boys when uh, when America wakes up a little bit uh, this morning. It's still something like you know, four a.m. or quarter to five in the morning over there now um, to see what was the deal. Did they end up uh, Did they end up that way on on merit or the way the kind of the pit stops kind of kind of fell and um, they were kind of out of, out of sequence and it, you know, it just ended up with a better result than it looked. But they did qualify, I think, in the top three. So, you know, it, it's getting there, but it's pretty tough when you're running up against Porsche. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're on stages at this, uh, uh, this type of racing and, um, you know, every time you, you get close and they, they won the race, the sprint race at, uh, in Atlanta earlier this year, you know, Porsche kind of turn up the wick a bit and say, right, and, you know, see you later. So, um, you know, it's a pretty tough for a little niche like panels which kind of you know makes a few hundred cars a year up against Porsche who's you know reputation kind of you know needs no introduction really no but uh, as we both know having spent a couple of years there or more working with uh, the panels factory team it's uh, it's the passion that drives you to to uh, to compete there and um, I, I figure uh, Georgia and, uh, and Atlanta um, uh, holds a, a, a soft spot in your heart and since you're about to get married to a girl from that uh, neck of the woods, Georgian yep, yep, girl, I, um, I made I, uh, I hate to say that I, I really I wasn't sure that I could make the trip over to uh, have the, uh, the celebration at Don's Shadow, uh, Alain again. Have you have you thought maybe the uh, the outback grill at at, at Buckhead's available? <laughs> uh, I mean, sure, sure, Lee Diffie would be up for that. Yeah, yeah, it's about as outback as uh, as about as outback as the Bourbon Norwood, really. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, anyway, mate, uh, look, just uh, moving off motor racing for a second because I know you're busy and we're going to let you go. Can look after your folks. Um, had a little chat about goodies coming out uh, last week from Apple, and and uh, you were right. Uh, the Apple has come out with uh, a couple of video iPods. In fact, they they haven't like come out just with video iPods. They have replaced the iPod with an iPod that is video capable, and I think that that's that's pretty uh, pretty significant. My um my, my first thoughts um, after looking at the um, iTunes Music Store was that we're, we're all spewing that we don't have a, a music store that's uh, available here in Australia. But I'm told every day now that it's coming in the next few days or so. But uh, thanks for letting me use your account for the moment. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting, it's a kind of a transition transitional step. And you know, just when everybody else, just when the Googles and the Microsofts and everybody else is just starting to you know, try to bridge the gap to what uh, what Jobs is doing. And then he kind of comes up and, and you know, steps ahead. It is left field stuff, isn't it? When it really, I mean, you're not that I need a new iMac, but I go, oh, how cool is that photo booth stuff? And and I reckon oh, it was yeah. one of the funniest uh, 
keynotes I've seen for a while. Those who haven't seen it can uh, jump on to uh, apple.com and, um, and watch the keynote from, uh, from San Francisco last week. It's pretty funny stuff and it's great to see that a guy who's you know, right out there, a, a multi-billionaire is just as passionate and so the other side of the coin from uh, Bill Gates of uh, Redmond in uh, Seattle. What, what's what? next on the What's next on the Christmas wish list, or both, or whether you, whether you can actually kind of justify yeah. that? But uh, no, certainly they've got some interesting stuff, and you know there's room to be some uh, some hardware upgrades in, um, in basically kind of the next week or so for the PowerBook range and the um, uh, the PowerBook range, and also the desktop range. And of course, you've got the um, the Intel um, powered Mac. Yeah, now that that's yeah. roadmap's coming on strong. Yeah. I, um, I did a little test um, the last day or so. I, I pulled up a, an old movie that you've probably seen, the, the trip to Adelaide around the Great Ocean Road in the, in the two-door STI, which was about a 55-minute um, uh, show. It, as a quick-time movie, it was about 770 megabyte, uh, 320 by 240 pixels, Cinepack compressed at 15 frames per second. And uh, when I installed iTunes 6, we got a new version of QuickTime 7.03, and in there it included a new export function which said movie to iPod 320.240. So it re-exported that out, and it took a long time, probably four hours to do that, but the size dropped down to 211 megabyte. And it's hard to say that you could, you know, once, you know, if you start with shit, you're going to have shit out. So um, it, it was, um, I thought the quality seemed to be better than what it was from the Cinepack. Um, and and it, 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 drop, it creates a file and it puts an extension called M4U. So it is MPEG-4 H.263 uh, codec that it's using. Uh, what's interesting is that it does play back within the iTunes uh, client. But when you, um, when you, uh, when you, you double click the album art window, which is where it plays the movie, the movie comes up, but it has no vertical borders. It's only the top and the bottom. So it really looks really, really different and clean. It's just funny to see it without a framed window. Yeah, it, I, I, think, I think the really interesting thing is when they get to the stage of, you know, MPEG 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 kind of thing, where you're going to end up with, um, you know, huge amounts of content, you know, three or four hours of content, you know, compressed down into one or two meg kind of thing. Now, currently the, um, the technology is not, is not there, but there's, there's two things I can kind of see, ha see happening is getting the, 
compression and maintaining the quality is going to be important or the, the bandwidth deliverability you know at the moment we kind of view you know downloading 10 meg as kind of a, a sizable file now the, the day will come and i'm not sure kind of which through through which technology and so forth where 10 meg is going to be like it's going to be like 100k kind of thing you know people are not going to think anything of it look i think it's pretty much like that now people are you know like you know putting so much ram and and and, and storage in their in their devices but there's a bit of a yin and yang with this paul because the performance of, of hardware is going up, but the richness of the graphic user interface and uh, the user environment on, on on the computers, whether it's you know an XP or, or this new uh, new uh, Microsoft Vista or, or OS 10, 10.4, uh, there's a lot of performance required to create that sort of visual experience. And so there, there, there isn't so much of a, of a leap in, in performance each time. And okay, so we move to a greater, a greater um, method of, of MPEG compression or maybe something else like the, the H.264 codec, there will be something better again. But, uh, you know, you, 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 it sort of levels itself out because you require so much hard, more hardware performance to be able to, to, to process this. How, however, you may not think it goes ahead and leaves and bounds, but go and crank up your old 186 or, uh, or an old version 7, you know, Mac Plus or an LC2 or something like that and try and play some of the stuff that, uh, uh, that you've got now and you'll soon, you'll soon quickly kind of appreciate the uh, um, appreciate the kind of the content that... Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, right. But I, I think it, it comes back to your personal frame of reference it's like saying to someone like imagine going to you know deepest darkest africa and, and someone who's never been in a car and you put them in a car and go well, we're going at a, we're going at 60 miles an hour well they don't have a frame of reference on that is that fast or slow to them and it's the same for every time we seem to get a computer it always seems to be fast to us but but i have a sneaky suspicion that there's some built-in obsolescence there that slows itself itself down over time it's a bit of a chaos theory and forces us to buy stuff Yes. All right, mate. Well, thanks heaps for your time today, and uh, okay. we'll uh, probably chat to you maybe up at, at Indy. And um, if you got any uh, things to say, uh, good afternoon, please, um, radio. Be in touch. Okay. Thanks.